would be uh, like Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes, you get to what is oftentimes referred to as the major prophets. And then beyond the major prophets, now the major prophets would be like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. When you get beyond the major prophets, you get to these books that oftentimes are called minor prophets, all right? And so you don't have to worry about it. You can just stay right there. And so, so here's the thing is, is that when we call them major and minor, it doesn't mean that Isaiah and Jeremiah are more important than Nahum and Habakkuk and so on. It's just the size of the books is really why you call them major and minor. It really has nothing to do with the messages more important. When we come to the New Testament, there are some books naturally that are larger in size than others, but I find that even these small ones pack a powerful punch. And these two small books we'll look at tonight, there's a lot there. And so I want you to follow along with me tonight. And if you're listening tonight by way of live stream, make sure you have your pen, jot some things down, and let's all learn and grow tonight from these two small books. So we're going to start with Titus. And as we think about Titus, we're getting to the end of the letters or books. Many times we're using the word epistle. Um, these are the end of the writings of the Apostle Paul. And we studied last week, and I'll give you a little bit here in the introduction, but Titus is one of those three. We looked at the, la the other two last week, First and Second Timothy. We come to Titus tonight, and the title of Titus is Advice to Pastors and Churches. Now, again, you remember that this is God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, Paul may have been the one God allowed to pen these words, but this is advice to pastors and churches. The book itself is believed that it is written to Titus, to whom this letter was written to, which was one of Paul's earliest converts. And when we say convert, we mean that he led him to Christ. And it, the Bible actually says that Paul calls him his own son after the common faith. Now, he also referred to Timothy in that way, that Timothy was his son in the faith. So Titus is his own son after the common faith. Now, when the, if you see the word there, common, common faith, again, I think it's important we understand our Bible. The word common there is really a reference to the faith that is shared by all. That's what it means by common faith. So when you think about uh, what our church believes, the reason that we all hold the same doctrines, the same beliefs, is because that's what the Bible teaches. So you could really say that we all believe the common faith. It's shared by all because it comes from the Word of God. So notice in verse 4 of, ch of chapter 1, the Bible says, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. And then he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So this is, uh, this is Paul's way of really signing on, greeting. This is the introduction that he gives to the book of Titus. Now, Titus was a talented Greek. It, there was a, quite a few things that Titus could do, and Paul actually found very profitable for the ministry. So Titus was a man that was a blessing to Paul. Paul could use him in the ministry, and he was very profitable to him, useful. Now, he was a man that was unselfish, he was trustworthy, and that, that's a great quality. The Apostle Paul loved that. 
And as a result, notice here that he traveled, he journeyed with Barnabas and Paul when they went to Jerusalem. Now, again, I don't think Paul would take somebody with him that was not going to be a blessing, be useful, be trustworthy. And the Bible says of Titus in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, he says, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? And he says here, walk we not in the same spirit, walk we not in the same step. So he says, look, uh, I'm, I'm telling you that Titus, I've seen this. I've seen his life, his conversation, and Titus is a blessing. And so he's kind of given a testimony there that he is a trustworthy man. Now, the name Titus literally means honored, or it can also be used in a way that means honorable. So again, this goes back to the fact of his testimony, his character, of the kind of man that he was. Titus appears, as you study his, the, the book here, small three chapters, Titus is one that uh, appears to have been much stronger man than Timothy. And we mean that in the sense of not only spiritually, but physically. And the reason I say that is because as you read what Paul wrote to Timothy versus what Paul wrote to Titus, you see that Paul expressed more concern for Timothy than he really did for Titus. And so, again, you could study that out and see some of those types of, of comments that were made there. Now, this third letter of what we call the pastoral epistles uh, that Paul wrote, uh, of course, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, these three letters I mentioned last week, they're actually written for an aged man, an older man, being the Apostle Paul. Paul's at the end of his ministry, the close of the ministry God had given to him. And here it is. He was concerned about his successors, is what he was concerned about. Those that would uh, pick up the mantle, those that would carry the baton. So Titus, the book of Titus, is just like First and Second Timothy, but instead of writing it to Timothy, he's writing it to Titus. Now notice the letters con uh, concern the things that would be crucial for the young pastors to understand. So as Paul was writing, I shared this last week, but I wanted to remind you again, he wanted Titus, like Timothy, to understand how the church would be organized, the discipline that, that the Word of God teaches when it comes to the church. Also, Titus would be dealing with what Timothy dealt with, and that is those that maybe were rebellious members of the church or those that were false teachers in the church. And then one of the most important things is that he would be personally responsible before God to maintain the doctrinal purity of the church. Listen, we're living in a day and hour where people are getting away from the doctrine of the Word of God. They are just, they're, they're walking away, and uh, there's a word we use many times, and it's the word apostasy, a, a falling away. So Paul says, look, Titus, I've already instructed Timothy, and I'm telling you the same thing from my heart. And, and by the way, the older I get, that's something that I take very seriously and many churches today, because pastors haven't been serious about that, that someone else will come in and begin to pastor the church that does not believe the common faith, does not believe the doctrines of the Word of God, and churches are changing, and they used to be a citadel for the truth, but no longer are they because they've watered down the Word of God. Now, you may or may not understand that, maybe, maybe you're not there yet, in your life spiritually, but I hope you understand from a pastor's heart tonight, just like we're uh, looking at Paul writing here. Now, as you look at Paul writing to Timothy and Paul writing 
to Titus. Here's a big difference. Paul was writing to Timothy. Remember that Paul addressed Timothy, and he talked about the faith that Timothy had that was first in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. So remember, Timothy came from a Christian home, but Titus did not come from a Christian home. Anybody else here like me did not come from a Christian home? I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And, and so Titus was actually raised in a pagan environment. So again, you, you think about that. That is something that Paul understood the background of Timothy. Paul understood the background of Titus. And I think when it comes to you and I, listen, as a pastor, I realize that uh, this person may have a great upbringing. By the way, just because you have a Christian upbringing doesn't mean you're better or any more equipped than someone else. Uh, but it, it does help me a lot of times when I'm ministering to somebody to know maybe a little bit about where they have been and where they are now or where they're heading. And that's what was on Paul's heart and mind as he's writing to Titus. Now, Titus was sent to minister to the people known as the Cretans. And the Bible actually uses this word. This isn't my word. And, and it, you'll see sometimes the word barbarian or the word barbarous. It's a word that is descriptive. Here's what it means. You can jot this down. It means people that were maybe savage. They were cruel uh, type of people. Maybe they were at times even inhumane type of people. And so I want you to see this map here because, again, we have to understand the known world at that time, that if you look, see the green area, of course, at the top it says Galatia, but if you come all the way down to the bottom, uh, you see the water there, but notice the word Jerusalem. Everybody see that? And then out into the Mediterranean, there's one island that we want to focus on tonight, and that's the island of Crete. That's where Titus ministered for the Lord. That's where... God put him to minister for the Lord. We see all the other cities, and we've covered some of those in Paul's travels, but Titus was placed on this island and to minister to these folks known as Christians who were barbarous people. By the way, everyone needs the Lord. Why do you think Jonah struggled to go to Nineveh? All right, uh, There's not too many missionaries that are heading to Iran or Iraq. Uh, and yet those people, just like you and I, everyone needs the Lord. And so Paul was writing to Timothy. Notice a couple verses here, Titus 1.12. Here's what he says. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, look at, it, look at what he said. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Now, what a description here of these people, these barbarous people that, that, that Paul is writing here in Titus chapter 1. Now, again, I like to do word studies. I like to study the Word of God. I think we all understand what the word liars mean, right? We, we pretty much get that one. Now, he also says here that they were evil beasts. And again, these people weren't necessarily animals, but there are people today that that literally act like some animal. Uh, again, it's just amazing when you see people acting that way. But what he was talking about when he said they are evil beasts, he was talking about these are people that are very dangerous that can cause injuries. That's what he meant by evil beast. And now remember, he's writing to, to Titus, and Titus is in the role of a pastor, and he's, he's saying, look, be careful of 
these Cretans because they can, they can cause injuries. They're very dangerous. You know, you think about it nowadays, how we as Americans, and not only Americans, but around the world, we try to domesticate animals. You ever see one of these stories where an animal will turn on its master? And you think to yourself, wow, can't believe that happened. I think the problem is we forget they're animals. I'll never forget a story I heard years ago. Some lady raised a bunch of uh, little baby wolves. I mean, from the time that literally they, they were almost born, she raised those wolves, and they were, they were full-grown, a couple years old. And every day, every day since they were little bitty cubs or whatever, every day she'd go in and feed them and take care of them and nurse them and all that. And she went in to feed them one day, and just out of the blue, they turned on her, and they found her dead. They killed her. You know, and, and so T Paul is writing to Titus and he's saying, look, you need to be careful of these Cretans. They're dangerous. They can cause injuries. And then this statement that he says here, he uses these two words, slow bellies, slow bellies. I thought well, that, that ought to be an interesting study. Here's what here's what the, the connotation there is. They're lazy people. That's really what, what it means. It, they are they are heavily gluttonous people. And you think about that, I mean, a lot of people just are not very enthusiastic when it comes to the things of God, and, and Paul says, Titus, you need to understand the kind of people that God sent you to minister to, and of course, in every church, there, there are lazy people, and we need to be aware of that as we, we serve the Lord in ministry. Now, when I think of what, just look at that verse there, verse number 12 of chapter 1, and Paul, the aged man, is writing to a young man that, that is, is going to try to help these people to come to know Christ, that their lives would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it, I don't know about you, but when I see that, it makes me really appreciate Titus's message and Titus's uh, uh, really just ministering to these barbaric type people. Uh, look what the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 11, where the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to how many people? To all men. That includes the Cretans, all right? Now notice this. Here's what the grace of God will do. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, here it is, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, not when we get to heaven, but in this present world. And so here's Titus just encouraging these people. And how many times have I found encouragement from uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse number 12? And God says, look, this is how I want you to live every day of your life, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, the occasion of this small three chapters, here it is. The occasion of the writing is that Paul, word of what was going on, on uh, Crete, reached Paul about the conditions there of the church on Crete. So here it is. Titus was sent to Crete to do what? To set things in order. Now, again, it just reminds me over and over again, uh, when you look at your Bible, look, look up here for a second at mine. When you look at your Bible, you see line upon line, you see paragraphs, you see indentations. Now, again, we understand that when God originally gave it, it, it might have been, uh, it was in this order, but it was in a different language. 
that God gives his word in order. God gave his word in thought patterns because God is a God of order. So when God sent Titus to Crete and Paul's giving instructions there, he says, look, I want you to set things in order. You know what, what happens when God and his word are not somewhere? There's, there's chaos. And we see this all the time, that they're wanting to take God out of this world. And when you take the Lord out, what you have is anarchy. That's what you have. So Titus was sent there to set things in order. And he, look at this. He was also sent there to ordain elders in every city. Now, a lot of times people will ask me that word there. That is a synonymous word meaning pastors. It actually is one of the offices, one of the distinctions of a pastor is that they would be ordained in every city. And so again, on this island of Crete, there would be uh, different pastors in different areas. He also went there to give instructions in matters of church administration, how things ought to be done. Well, where do we find those principles? Uh, we find them in the Word of God. God gives us instruction. That's why we do things the way we do here at Bible Baptist Church is because God has given the things that would be done orderly in our church, and that's where we find administration. For instance, there's only two offices in a, in a church, a biblical church. But you find a lot of times where churches will have uh, many more than two offices. There, the Bible only tells us that there's a pastor and there's the deacons. And so when you, when you consider this, Titus was there to give the matters, instruct the matters of, of church administration. And here's the last one, is to oppose the invasion of false teachers. Anytime you see the work of God going forward, you see it over and over and over again in the book of Acts, is the devil is always going to be fighting against the truth. And so, look, it might be an island in the middle of the, of the sea, but the devil's going to send people there to try to oppose that and water it down and so on. So notice here in chapter 1, verse number 5, the Bible says again that for this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. In other words, there's things that ought to be going on, things that God wants a certain way. They're not happening. That's why I left you there. And notice also to ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So here's Titus in that role, and he's being used of God to help others, to give instructions. That's the occasion of the book of Titus. The contents, Paul places before Titus several qualifications. Now remember, these were not the apostle Paul's qualifications. These are God's qualifications. And a lot of times people say, well, I just don't like that. I don't understand it. Well, again, this is something that God gives. He gave it to Timothy also, the qualifications of a pastor. You see them here in Titus in chapter 1. And, of course, the instructions to the church in the choice and the ordination of pastors. So, like, for instance, when our church, uh, six years ago, God called the pastor of this church uh, to be with him. And so Mark Brown went in, out into eternity and then began the process of this church, praying about, seeking who the next pastor of the church would be. If God called me home, the church would then do that again. And so there is some instructions given, even in the book of Titus, on how to do that. And again, we want to make sure as a church that, we, that it, is, it is God's choice, and again, that the church understands the call of God 
on who that individual may be. Now, Paul seeks to stir up zeal and diligence, and he does that by refuting the false teachers, and he begins to deal with some of the heretics. That's what you find in some of the book of Titus. Paul gives warnings to avoid foolish questions and contentions and strifes about the law. I was talking to one of our men today, and I said, this is something honestly, that we need to make sure as Bible-believing Christians that there are people that will listen, that we can discuss the Word of God with them, but the Bible says that we need to just stay away from things that really are not going to matter as far as eternity, or or they're going to matter in the area of someone getting saved. And so Paul's telling Titus, he says, look, avoid foolish questions. Can I just be honest with you tonight? Who cares about the toenail on the beast? Seriously. You know, some of you right now going, what are you talking about? I'm glad you're thinking that way. But there are people who want to sit around and argue about the most non, just silly things that really do not matter. And so Paul says, look, avoid those foolish questions, contentions, strifes. By the way, that's the work of the devil is to cause division in the church, to bring up something where there's just going to be arguing and so on. And so that's part of the book of Titus. Now notice, again, just like Timothy, first and second, this is a pastoral epistle, one of the three that Paul writes. And the subject of Titus is the good works that are helping us to become Christian believers. Now, again, we're not saved by our works. That's not what the Bible's referring to here. But it it helps us to understand that once we are saved, There are certain things that we should be about. The purpose of Titus is to teach us that good works are the result. They are actually the fruit of God's salvation. Once we are saved, people oftentimes misunderstand that small book of James, which we'll probably look at, I think, about three weeks from now. And and so we see that all of this is to teach us that the things we do for the Lord, they are the the fruit of they are the, the result of God's salvation in our hearts. Titus 3, 5, I use this verse many times. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And of course, the washing of regeneration is, uh, there's another phrase in the Bible, the remission of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins. And so I love this, how, again, it's not about what we do, it's about God's salvation and what flows out of our lives after we come to know the Lord as our Savior. Just a simple little outline, uh, each chapter there, you see, first of all, the emphasis on the church as an organization. The second chapter is the church is to teach and preach the Word of God. That's what every church should do. Uh, Church is not in the entertainment business, all right? We're here to, to... proclaim the truth of the Word of God. Chapter 3, the church is to perform good works, and once we're saved and God has changed us or is changing us, we ought to be doing what we do for the Lord. And simple little outline there, chapter by chapter. The writer is Paul, Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So Paul here again, is writing uh, to, those, to, to, to Titus and really just trying to help Titus. And we find that Paul wrote this 
while he was in Ephesus about 63 AD. And again, many of these were pretty tight together. Paul just got on a roll as God was giving him the words to write. And Paul was busy writing the word of God. Chapter 2 is the key chapter which deals with direction for doctrine and conduct. And when we say conduct, look, our, our doctrine should determine our behavior. Let me say that again. What you believe, your doctrine, should determine how you behave. And when we study the Word of God and the Bible shows us, teaches us, then the things I do are based on what I believe. All right, I hope you understand that tonight. And there's so many people today that do not behave in a godly manner, and that really is an indication that they they do not understand or they're not following the Word of God. But the emphasis here is the direction for doctrine and conduct. The key verses we've already looked at is uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. And then that verse I just read, Titus 3 and verse 5, again, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And so we see here two great verses. The key word, uh, and again, this is what Paul thought of Titus, that he was profitable, that he was useful. Uh, and Paul was very fond of Titus uh, because he was helpful. He was at, it was an advantage to Paul to have Titus doing what he was doing for the Lord on the island of Crete. The key phrase, and we've looked at this, and again, the emphasis is what we're doing in Christ. On, in the book of Titus, it's ministering, what we're doing for the Lord, how we're ministering to the Lord. The key thought we looked at in verse 5 of chapter 1 is to set things in order, to set things in order. And then I give a spiritual thought with each one of these books. The spiritual thought to Titus is right from the book of Titus, it is to adorn the doctrine. Now you think of that word there, adorn the doctrine. What does that mean? Well, if you look at that word in the original language, and this is really what he's saying here is, to adorn the doctrine means to put it in proper order. It means to arrange it in the order God said. Now think about that. The Bible also tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. And so what is, what is God saying through, uh, through Paul to Timothy? He's saying, when you study the Word of God, you need to cut it straight. Make sure that you look at it. Uh, you, you know what the cults do today is they'll take something, they'll take it out of context, they'll twist it, they'll distort it to try to make it what they want it to be. And so Paul told Timothy, he says, look, make sure you're rightly dividing the Word of Truth. As Paul was writing to Titus, he tells him to adorn the doctrine or to Put it in the proper order. Uh, Titus, make sure that it's, it's arranged the way that God wanted it to be arranged. Uh, I love to study the Word of God. I love to study the order that God gave a, a, a Bible college professor years ago. His favorite thing was when you get to certain places in your Bible reading where the Bible gives you what we would call lists. And it, it'll list off. It might be uh, wicked things that people do. It might be the fruits of the Spirit. You understand the lists where it just gives one after the other and there's commas after it. And, uh, and he said, always pay attention to the order that things are given in those lists. These six things that the Lord hates. There's a list, all right? And, and so we need to make sure, like, like Paul was instructing Titus, that we're putting 
God's word in the proper order, all right? And then Christ is seen in the book of Titus as our great God and Savior. And here's that verse, uh, Titus 2.10, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of, of God, our Savior, in all things. So remember what I just said about what it means to adorn the doctrine. Now look at that verse there. See it there, Titus 2.10? Because there's a couple words there that I, I found, again, to be interesting. I like to study the Word of God. I hope you do too. So look at that word purloining there. Okay, The word purloining means to keep back something, to hold something back. He says, don't hold back, now watch this, but showing all good fidelity. Now, the word fidelity there means our beliefs, uh, our reliance upon God, upon his truth. So he says, don't hold anything back, not purloining. He says, but showing all good fidelity, all good assurance, all good uh, faith and reliance upon God. Why? that they may adorn, here's the word again, adorn, to put in proper order, to arrange it properly, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in how many things? All things. So remember, Titus is ministering, now maybe not all of them, but he's ministering to people that are identified as barbarous people. And so these people, if you're like me, when I got saved, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything about God. I mean, I had heard some things when I was a, a young religious person. And, and so, look, I could have been considered just like those folks on that island that, that Titus was sent to minister to. And I love this thought here to put it in proper order, to arrange it, to adorn the doctrine of the Word of God. And so that's the book of Titus. I, I love that little book. And uh, I spent a lot of time, and I thought, man, that's a neat little study there. And maybe you could dig into it a little bit more. And then we go to Philemon. Boy, Philemon, one chapter. Here it is, all right? Small little letter that Paul writes to Philemon. And here's, here's what I would call it or a title to it is a request for forgiveness. What a great little book, just one little chapter. And it derives its name from the one to whom Paul was writing, which is Philemon. And Philemon was a member of the church in Colossae. Anybody know a book in our Bible, the church in Colossae? What book is that? The book in Colossians, all right? So here's, watch this. It's, it's called Philemon. Paul writes it to Philemon. Philemon is a member of the church of Colossae. Everybody with me so far? I want to make sure you understand this if you haven't spent any time. So look at verse 1 of Philemon. He writes here, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's a good phrase there. It, 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 Paul says, this is how I view myself. He says, I, I love the Lord. He says, and notice here, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. So uh, as he's writing to Philemon, here's, here's a, a great thought. The church services were actually being held in Philemon's house. <laughs> Philemon, he has a house, house church and Philemon, when you, when you study a little bit of history about him, he was a man that was, had considerable means. He had been blessed. Uh, he was a possessor of slaves, which was very common even back in those days. And notice also that he was a very benevolent 
believer. He was a giving believer. And, and uh, Paul is writing to this man. Now, we'll find out here in just a moment what this is all about. But as Paul is writing here, in verse number two, he mentions two people. One is Athia, and the other one is Archippus. Now, uh, many believe that Athia was actually Philemon's wife, and Archippus was his son. And so Paul mentions them in verse number two. And then, of course, the, the name Philemon. Remember, we've studied the book of uh, uh, other books where we've talked about, uh, remember the book of Acts, where, we t- uh, where the Bible mentions also in Luke's gospel, he uses the word, um, just drew a blank, uh, Theophilus. Remember that word, O Theophilus? Anybody remember what Theo is? God. And then Philos is love, okay, like Philadelphia. You have, you have love. So remember we talked about that, it, that uh, Theophilus was a lover of God, right? Now, think about that. There's two different kinds of love that are mentioned in the New Testament of your Bible. The first one is agape love. That is a God-type love. That's an unconditional love. The other one is phileo love. And, and of course, we think about phileo love. That, you think of the city of Philadelphia uh, mentioned in the, in the book of Revelation. You also see even here in our country, Philadelphia, it's the city of brotherly love. So that's what phileo type of love is. So when I said all that, that when you look at the name Philemon, do you see the phileo in there? So Philemon actually means affectionate or loving. Okay, this, this is what his name meant. And of course it fits his personality. And as Paul is writing to Philemon here, it implies that Philemon was a convert of the Apostle Paul. And you say, wow, Paul won a lot of people to Christ. Yes, he did. He made a statement under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said that he's free from the blood of all men. Everywhere Paul went, he witnessed for the Lord. And this is another man that God providentially allowed him to reach Philemon with the gospel. And so here Paul is writing to this convert of his that was a blessing, that was having church in his house, that was a benevolent believer. And he uses some descriptive words as he writes to Philemon of his family. And these words that he used actually denotes a godly home. That Philemon had a home that, that I, I believe the Lord would have been comfortable and pleased at. He uses words like he's our fellow soldier. He uses the word beloved. Uh, he, he uses the word obedience. When he talks about Philemon, he, he uses the word partner and the word prayer. All of these indicate that his home was a godly home. And so that we see all of that as we get into this one chapter, small little book in the New Testament. Now, the occasion of writing, here we go. He was writing to Philemon, but notice here that a slave of Philemon, and of course he had many, I don't know how many, but one of his slaves, his name was Onesimus, all right? How would you like to name your kid's kid Onesimus, all right? But he named, here's a slave of Philemon, and the story is that Onesimus had run away from Philemon, from his duty as a slave to his master, and he, and he actually went to Rome. And when he got to Rome, guess what happened? He got saved because the Apostle Paul providentially led him to Christ. And so here's a slave that was running from his master that Paul providentially led him to Christ. And then Paul, 
then in turn sends uh, Onesimus back to his master, back to Philemon, and as he did that, he accompanied uh, Onesimus with one of the individuals that the Bible mentions by the name of Tychus. And so Paul then asked the master, that would be Philemon, he asked the master to receive the slave kindly and to treat him in the future not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Now think about that. I mean, you, you talk about the work God had done on Paul's heart, how that this was a man that was killing Christians, that the Lord Jesus Christ led him, uh, he was saved on the road to Damascus, his life was changed from the inside out, and so here's this uh, Onesimus that's on the run, and Onesimus knew that if he went back, that uh, according to the law, he would be killed, because he left, he fled, he got out of there. So what does Paul do? Paul actually writes to the master to receive him kindly. Don't Look, not only receive him, but don't treat him as a slave anymore. Treat him as a brother in Christ. Now remember, he's writing to a saved man. He's not writing to an unsaved master. He's writing to Philemon. Both of these men were both reached with the gospel by the apostle Paul. Paul Ask the master to receive him kindly. Now, the contents of this, this small little book, the message of this letter is really one that is, listen, let me try to help you understand because sometimes there are things that are history-based that we may not find in the Bible, but you can go back, you can look. And here's something as I was studying, you need to kind of understand that we should, that one-third at this particular time as Paul is dealing with Onesimus, He's trying to reach out to Philemon. At this time, one-third of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. One-third of it. And so that, there, there are a lot of people that have slaves. There's a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire. And a slave, this is just the way it was, the slave was the personal property of his owner. And here, many times they reported that slaves were treated worse than an enemy. Now, that doesn't sound very good, but that's just the way it was because many of them had unsaved masters and these slaves were subjected to every desire, every impulse of their master. So I, I, I just share that with you. It's not in your notes to just help you paint the picture of what was going on in Onesimus' mind and in his heart as Paul was trying to encourage and try to send him back to Philemon. So you could jot this down, though. Onesimus, Philemon's slave, he probably, now again, uh, can't be totally dogmatic, but he probably robbed his master uh, and went to Rome. And I kind of get that as you look at verse number 18, where the Bible says, if he hath wronged thee, he's writing this to Philemon, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught. Well, Paul wouldn't be writing that if he didn't help himself to something on the way out the door, all right? So he, there, it's, it's believed here that maybe he robbed him, took something from him. And, and, and so here, here's what happens. Again, just painting the picture. So Onesimus leaves Philemon. He flees for his life. He goes to Rome. When he got to Rome, guess what happened? He heard Paul preach the gospel. And the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So Onesimus got saved, and, and as a result of that, we see here that he became a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says in Philemon in verse 10. He says, I beseech thee for my 
Look what he calls Onesimus. Same thing he called Timothy, same thing he called Titus. He says, for my son, Onesimus. Now, how could Paul call Onesimus his son if he didn't get saved? He was his son in the faith. And he says, look, Philemon, I know I did wrong, but he says, God has saved this man. And he says, he's now my son whom I have begotten in my bonds. Look at the Bible says, remember that Philemon was a member of the church in Colossae. Look at this verse out of Colossians 4 and verse 9. The Bible says, with Onesimus, and here's the description, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So here he is. He's described as a faithful and beloved brother. That's God saying that about Onesimus. That's not Paul saying that about Onesimus. And so Paul desired to use. He, he Look, he saw the value. You remember Paul's dealings with Barnabas about Barnabas's nephew? Anybody remember what his name was? Barnabas's nephew? Second book in our New Testament? Mark, John Mark, right? So, so remember, remember what happened? John Mark left the ministry. And by the way, that's what Onesimus did. Onesimus left. But remember the problem that Paul had with John Mark because he felt like, hey, look, this, this, this took off and, and I just don't know. But later on, remember what he said about John Mark? Bring John Mark because he's profitable. Well, here Paul's telling Philemon, he's saying, look, I know that Onesimus, was, he should not have done what he did. And so Paul sees this man, Onesimus, by the way, Onesimus actually means useful. That's what the name means. And so Paul saw Onesimus as somebody that he wanted him to be his helper. But watch this. Paul understood that according to the law, Onesimus belonged to Philemon. So because of that, here's the character that the Apostle Paul had, is that Paul realized that Onesimus had an obligation to his master, Philemon, and so Paul felt it was his duty to send him back to his master. Now, Paul, with his heart wearing it big, Paul decided, hey, look, but I'm going to try to help this son in the faith as much as I can. By the way, that's what a dad should do for their son, even if it's a son in the faith. And so look what the Bible says here in verses 13 and 14 of Philemon. Paul writes here, whom I would have retained, I would have kept him with me. He says that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But watch this. But without thy mind would I do nothing. In other words, uh, it's, it's your business, it's your matter, he is yours, and he says, that thy benefits should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. So Paul says, look, I know this is the right thing to do. So Onesimus knew that if he was going to return, he would be put to death as was required of a runaway slave. And so now look at this statement here. Notice Onesimus besought Paul to write to his master on his behalf. Now, I will add to that, and I think you'll understand this that although Onesimus might have encouraged Paul to write to Philemon, you have to understand that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So even though Paul might have been writing, God let Paul write to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Everybody understand the statement there? So as we think about that, now the, the character 
this isn't a pastoral epistle. This is just purely personal. That's what uh, this one chapter, this little small book is. And the subject of it is salvation and restoration of a runaway slave. And that's why I love this little book, because it's a really a great book on forgiveness. Look, if you struggle with forgiveness, this is a good little book to go to. But, but Paul fully understood that there needed to be full restoration, and that included Philemon. And so Paul wanted to make sure that things were set in order. The purpose, this is, look at this, to picture the gospel. That's, that's what this, this little one-chapter book is. is it, it's a great picture of the gospel, the change that, that the gospel can make in our lives. Uh, the outline here, notice again, it's just one chapter. So first couple verses deals with Paul's courtesy and how, again, boy, the, the apostle Paul, before he got saved, when he was Saul of Tarsus, compared to what he's writing in these first couple verses and some of his writing, amazing, the transformation in Paul's life, and Paul's thinking about this young man by the name of Onesimus. And secondly, we see Paul's compliment, and again, Paul understands that if he's going to, if, if Philemon's going to read this and listen, it helps to be complimentary. And then Paul's counsel that he gives from verse 8 to verse 21, and then Paul draws a conclusion at the end of this little book known as Philemon. And of course, Paul was the writer. He wrote it about 62 AD, and this is the fourth of the prison epistles. Remember, we already covered that the first one was Ephesians, the second was Philippians, the third one was Colossians, and here's the fourth one that make that set. These were all written while Paul was in Rome. He was in a Roman prison, and Paul's writing, and think about that, Paul's writing to a son in the faith, he's writing to Philemon, somebody that he led to Christ, about another individual that he led to Christ so that there would be restoration between these two brothers, even though one was the master and one was the slave. And a great thought there is Paul's in prison just trying to be a blessing to Philemon and, and of course, even to Onesimus. The key verse is verse number 16, and the Bible says, not, not now as a servant, but above a servant, he says, a, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That's what he says. This is how you should value uh, this man by the name of Onesimus. The key word is the word receive, receive him. And, of course, the phrase in Christ, a great picture here, a picture of a brotherhood. Uh, again, the two of them coming together in Christ, and we should do the same in our lives. The thought is Christian bondage, how, uh, look, uh, Onesimus' whole life was changed because he had been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The spiritual thought to uh, Philemon is to be kind to all of God's people for God's sake. And it doesn't matter if somebody's a slave, somebody's a master, but we need to be kind to all people for the sake of the gospel. And then Jesus Christ is seen in the book of Philemon as the payer of our sin debt. Remember what Paul says, Paul told Philemon, he says, look, if there's anything that he owes, you know, just put that on my account. I love how that, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. There's a debt that we could not pay, and, and Jesus paid it all. Uh, there's nothing we could do to merit salvation, and Jesus made it possible so that we could have eternal life. And I just, I love the heart of the Apostle Paul, and not only last week, but these two books 
that we looked at tonight, how here's this aged man trying to help a, a young man, Titus, uh, to set some things in order with some people that are just kind of barbaric type people, and then to Philemon, who actually was a believer, having church in his house, but he says, look, I, you've got a, got a young man, I know he's a slave of yours, I'm sending him back to you, he says, but don't treat him like a slave, be kind to him, he says, treat him like a brother. What a great lesson that we can learn is God's been so good to us, why don't we be good to other people? And I love these little books. I hope you enjoyed the study on them tonight. And uh, you can spend some time going back over these if you want to uh, take it all in. And so next week.